What's your name? Django. Can you spell it? D-J-A-N-G-O. The D is silent. I know. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, Miss Kim Lowe. Hello. Tonight we continue our re-evaluation of Quentin Tarantino's filmography, as tonight's episode looks at Shango Unchained, the remake of sorts of the classic Sergio Cabucci western Django. Um, here, seeing Tarantino not only getting a chance to pay homage to his love of spaghetti westerns by giving us a southern rather than a western, but also giving flipping roles around and bringing in elements of uh, movies like Mandango and Goodbye Uncle Tom uh, to create a truly unique western experience that not only pays homage to the likes of Peckinpah and Kabuchi, but um, at the same time really manages to be something quite unique itself. Kim, this was the one that I think we both had our reservations about. Yeah. I mean, it. I mean, I'm not a big fan of westerns. Like, I've watched probably like three westerns <laughs> in my life. <laughs> it's not exactly my first choice of movies. And then um, the runtime is fairly long, and um, I'm not a big fan of Jamie Fox. So, <laughs> a lot of different reasons um, of why we seem to be hitting on a lot of the same things already. <laughs> so. so, I'm I'm pretty much uh, you know I went into this one really trying to be optimistic about it. It's a first-time watch, so I really was hoping that it'd be something kind of like Inglorious Bastards, <laughs> which yeah. um, I don't think it was. <laughs> I know what you mean. I'm not a huge fan of the Westerns either, So, but the fact that at this period of his filmography made two Westerns back-to-back was hardly something to be thrilled about. And certainly, as like you said already, I'm not a big Jamie Foxx fan. I think he was the worst thing in Baby Driver. And... There's, I don't know what it is about um, about Jamie Foxx. It's just, it, I just never really gotten into him as an actor. Same as Don Cheadle. There's something about the, these actors I just uh, never really got on got on with. So, like talking about, that, I mean, I don't have a problem with Don Cheadle. I thought that I think he's okay. Um, he was in the t- yeah. this TV series that I I I, fair, I enjoyed quite a bit. I forgot the name of it already. Um, House of Lies. Was yeah, it? House of Lies. Yeah, with the. Oh god, I couldn't stand that bloody show. That was okay. It was, was so smug. Fun. Um, but it was meant to be that way. Like the old smugness right. was all meant. I thought I thought it fit his role pretty well. Um, but Jamie yeah. pa- Jamie Fox is really different because I think that he's been in the business for so long and and I can never remember what he's been in, and I know that he's so big and it sounds horrible that I don't remember what he's been in. Because he's such a big yeah. actor, right? Like, he's been in so many things. Um, and yet, I don't know if it's because he's just kind of, like, a blind spot in my, like, the films I've watched. Or it's just that his roles always seem like they 
maybe the roles that he's plays a bigger role in I haven't seen. I don't know. Because, like you said, Baby Driver, I thought the movie was okay. But I, st- I do know that he's in it. But what did he exactly <laughs> do? Like, I don't remember right now. <laughs> He was a he was uh, one of the bank robbers. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I know he was one of the bank robbers, but I mean like the actual <laughs> part of it, right? Because I know I know the you know the driver part, and I remember his bits, and then I remember the the girls that are in it, and and yeah, but I just don't remember a <laughs> I just don't remember a lot of it, and I think that that's the thing is that, and it's not like it changed my mind, right? Like Django Unchained was a pretty big movie, and. Um, as with most, you know, Tarantino movies. But when I finished this movie, I think that as I was going through it, I think that the best part of the movie was Christoph Waltz. And that's my basic idea of how I feel about it in general. It's hard to fold you on that point. Christoph Waltz is pretty fantastic in this. And you don't really blame Tarantino for wanting to work with Waltz again, especially after he pretty much stole... Inglorious Bastards with his um, performance as the Jew Hunter. So to ha- see really him like find a role for him again, and it's another astounding performance that he gives here as uh, Django's mentor of sorts, uh, this dentist turned bounty hunter called um, Dr. Dr. King Schultz, um, who's super charismatic, walks into every scene knowing exactly what uh, he needs to do. I mean, there's a scene early on in the film where they uh, go into a town and he shoots the sheriff <laughs> and then walks calmly out in like the whole town, basically having guns in him to point out the fact that the sheriff is in fact this wanted criminal and not um, this hardworking sheriff that they all came to elect him as. So. I think that you know, I think the thing is that Django and Chain starts so fun because it's really mm. Christoph Waltz the moment he starts. He comes driving up in his little truck with a tooth just swinging on the top, right? And, yeah. And he turns out to be this really type of unpredictable type of character. Right? The way he talks, the way he acts, and the goal of what he wants, like who he's looking for. And and then when you get to, you know, like the town where to him, he doesn't have these American standards about, you know, slavery and all that sort of thing. So he's he's okay with it, you know. He bought this man. This man's gonna help him accomplish what he needs as the for for his bounty hunter, you know, to to collect this bounty. And then, and then, so he doesn't mind, right? And then everybody sees it as such like this big deal, and he just kind of like ignores all of it. <laughs> and I mean, that whole town scene was just great because it set such a great tone for for the movie in the beginning. It was just like. He was like, he was like, okay, well, you should go get the sheriff. <laughs> and then the sheriff comes, <laughs> and then he shoots him, and then he's like, he's like, now you can go get the marshal. <laughs> and he's just like instructing people to do stuff. What it's and and he's the visitor in town, and I think that that the way that he commands the role is really like just so fantastic. Oh, definitely. So he's certainly a really fun character to have in this, and it really plays off well against. Um, Jamie Foxx's Django, who's a very sort of stone-faced killer. He's really taps into like that Eastwood vibe of like the man with no name. Mm. When you look at this character, and I mean, I love the fact that as well the film opens with the same title music as the original Django. 
So in the original Django, we have this theme music as you see him Django walking through the desert as he's dragging this coffin in. We open in 1858 Texas with uh, the same theme music, and it's so great. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's so like oh, but um, obviously in Tarantino's world, Django's a slave turned bounty hunter um, who's uh, on a mission to get his wife Broom Hilda back um, after the two were. Separated and sold for cheap. Um, after they attempted to escape from the plantation they were working on, and this, I mean, obviously, whenever you have anything involved in slavery, it's going to spark a lot of contra- controversy. And having it set in the deep south, I think, only sort of further antagonizes people. But as Jamie Foxx says, it's the sort of movie you're supposed to be upset about. Um, and I think this is Tarantino certainly has. Well, I mean, he certainly has no fear of the N-word, for sure. And I've, some hundred-plus times that it's, it's muttered throughout. And I know when his film came out, there was a lot of, like, criticism. It's sort of like, oh, they're constantly like, using it. It's like, yes, you're in the Deep South in the 18th century. Slavery is legal. The N-word is pretty rife. Which always astounds me when people start applying modern-day values to historical pictures. Mm. It's just, like, the most stupidest thing. It's like, do you not, like have any like historical context for anything you're complaining about mm. yeah I, mean, I understand what you're saying with the when it we to look at that the opening half of this movie and it is a lot of fun just seeing how the pair are basically going around and collecting bounties and engaging in exciting uh shootouts and things and we have that uh, scene as well with the with the regulators the pre Ku Klux Klan, because obviously Ku Klux Klan came in after the Civil War, and were two years before the Civil War here, so they're actually regulators, and they just happen to have like the bed sheets over the head, and they're all. We have that great scene where they're complaining about the eye holes being too small, <laughs> and the fact they can't ride with hoods on their head. I know some people like criticize again. It's all like you're making fun of the Klan. It's like what we're supposed to play the Klan in a serious light. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it always uh, confused me, but um, no, I, as I say, it's just. Something about that first half that sort of loses its way really towards the uh, towards the end really, and I think it has a lot to do with the fact Christoph Waltz is removed before the end um, the end credits have rolled. It definitely could be that, and I I think that it just really changes in the sense like I don't um, like I think that you know you make a point about the whole N word being said, and yes, it's true that it is used a lot. For <laughs> me, it bothers me in a little bit but i think it's just the fact that the movie isn't meant like it's supposed to bother you like yeah. because you know you're faced with a world where there's slavery and these slaves are being treated in very inhumanly ways and it's meant to be uneasy to watch but at the same time i i don't know i think it's just uh i think that you know when you talk about the movie itself and how it's kind of like making you know, you're, you're, you know, kind of not in a serious light where they're doing whatever they're doing. But that's just Tarantino's style. Uh, whenever he, you know, just look at how he treated Inglorious Bastards, which is like an alternate history. And yeah. it's not, it, you can't, like, the movie's not meant to be taken very seriously. And Hitler is, is a garbage person in history, pretty much, right? <laughs> <laughs> so... So it, it kind of goes on saying, like, without making things too, you know, dramatic. Because, I mean, if you wanted to watch something dramatic about, say, like, for Inglorious Bastard, you wanted to watch something dramatic about Hitler, you go and watch Schindler's List. 
You don't have to go and watch Tarantino. Tarantino isn't meant to be that way. He's meant to kind of treat everything in kind of like this very sarcastic, poking fun, over-the-top type of tone. And that's exactly what he does with Django Unchained um, as well, I think. Uh, Because all the characters are super over-the-top. Like, I think no one beats over-the-top as much as, like, Leonardo DiCaprio's character. I thought his character was super irritating. Like, I like Leonardo DiCaprio, but his character was, woo! I mean, I had issues with it. I think if he had not been played with a southern accent, I probably would have had more issues, but there's something so charming about the the southern accent, especially when the DiCaprio, I mean, obviously he replaced Calvin Candy, yeah. the owner of the Candyland plantation, who also has a sideline in um, Bandingo fighting, which is basically where sli- slaves fight to the death. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, this is one of his uh, one of his sidelines that he runs. Now, the actual idea of you know slaves being forced to fight each other to the death is more of a fantastical thing, and it's really just Tarantino paying homage to the nineteen seventy five film Mandingo. Uh, sorry, Mandingo that he it, that that subplot is actually put in. I mean, obviously, slaves are, are very valuable properties, so you're not just going to have them beating each other up for. Just uh, casual entertainment, it seems, unless you're, like, super rich, I guess. But, as I said, it still would be a, something that wouldn't um, wouldn't happen. But um, here it makes a, it makes for an interesting subplot. It gives the character coming Candy that more evil edge. Because, obviously, in this location, I mean, we're surrounded by slave owners. And so everyone's sort of evil on some level. So you need someone who's sort of, like, going to raise up and it's like what's the next most evil thing we can do and it's like oh we have a slave owner who organizes like who pits men to fight to the death against each other for his own amusement um and it's also a great way to work in um the um cameo that we have from uh franco nero who um speaks as we see as the italian um fight promoter he has the conversation with uh Django at the bar and he's sort of like oh it's Django the deer silent and he's like I know and it's like yes you know because you played the original Django <laughs> that's why you know um, but I'm always excited to see Franco Nero he was also the dictator in Die Hard 2 ah, if you need another reference point okay okay <laughs> okay that's a better reference point <laughs> he's also in a bunch of like ninja movies that um, that uh, Columbus and Goem made uh like enter the ninja which were just awful and but um they're very sort of like the western idea of what a ninja is rather than like what you would see in like hong kong cinema the actual violence in in the film i mean how did that sort of play for yourself because it we have like that really brutal sort of like fight sequence that we're obviously introduced to Kevin candy with and then we have Scenes such as the shootout at the Candleland Ranch, which are just so over the top, mm-hmm. it's a it's a completely different departure. So, Tarantino really sort of switches back and forth between like realistic violence and then just super hyper violence when he has like uh, one of his big sort of like shootouts. Which I think after watching um, Fistful of the Dollars earlier in this week, because everyone was like, you know. The Man with No Name uh, trilogy is just like one of these essential questions you have to see. And I just couldn't get on with that movie at all. And I think whenever you see people getting shot, they're just like, 
no blood at all and then you watch this and just people just like geysers of blood everywhere i mean there's like there's moments of red mist throughout that shootout sequence it's insane i forgot how violent that scene is (laughs) i don't know i think that i think that after watching so many tarantino movies it's it's almost expected (laughs) that it's gonna be like that and i think that you know when we talk about it like that that's i think that that's the thing with why i didn't like Django Unchained as much is that it felt so expected like everything was expected there was no surprises all the characters were super predictable um there was no character that kind of like made you really on edge that they're gonna be super unpredictable or there's no like oh you know you know this is how it's gonna turn out you know that this scene is going to be super over the top type of deal or this scene is gonna be oh how it's gonna end is gonna be some big you know shootout crazy massacre whatever of everybody and (laughs) 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 but but i mean the violence is there for sure i mean it's it's nothing that i think it's just so it's nothing unexpected when you're talking about tarantino it's exactly how I feel about Tarantino when I first started watching him, and the exact reason why there are times I don't enjoy his movies. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think that some of the scenes are okay. I think that in terms of what yeah. it's trying to do, I think that um, when you talk about the Mendingo fight, I think that that's really... That fight was really... Um, intense in terms of like the sound effects that you use and what's going on and all that sort of stuff um yeah even it's, even that was the really tough to watch that yeah still. even the uh the brittle was it the brittle brothers was that it at uh, whatever plantation right, the cotton, yeah. was it the cotton plantation i can't remember yeah yeah that one was also kind of uh crazy because I think it was the first one where we, you really had a lot of, uh, I mean, the beginning scene was also kind of intense, like <laughs> when they were ki- killing the two, uh, the people ca- bringing the slaves and stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, overall, I think it was, the violence was pretty uh, on par with what you'd expect from a Tarantino movie. Definitely so. I mean, it's, it's just something about like, I'd say when you get into that big shootout scene, you've got the guy... Um, Candy's like right a man who's sort of like caught in the crossfire and he's sort of being used as a human yeah. shield and you've got like you got the um, bomb falling sound of like one of the bullets like as it hones in on his leg and it's all like the yeah, yeah. <laughs> like noises it's like what the most off-putting part about that is the fact that for the soundtrack he uses um, a Nas track which um, uses samples of from the film which is really weird when you're watching someone engage in a shootout and you've got their quotations in the background. So it just was really bit, was kind of jarring and something I only sort of picked up on, on this time. But I don't, as I said, it's not my favourite of the Tarantino movies. And I I still can't really sort of place a werewolf. It's just the fact I'm not a huge fan of westerns or I'm just not a big Jamie Foxx fan generally. I mean... Originally, they bounced around uh, names like uh, Michael K. Williams, who played Omar on The Wire, and Will Smith at one point was like um, a front runner. But um, Jamie Foxx was cast mainly because of the fact that Jamie Foxx rides his own horse in the film. Um, he does all his own riding himself, and that 
Tarantino just saw him as having this real sort of like cowboy air to him that Will Smith didn't. Um, so there's a valuable lesson: learn how to ride horses if you're going to make westerns. <laughs> and I mean, obviously, while Terry Fox is, is supposed to be like this cool bounty hunter cowboy, even here you can't really pull off that blue suit. <laughs> That's the thing which always jars me about this film. It's just like that bloody blue suit. And I mean, it's obviously inspired by Thomas Gainsborough's 1970, sorry, 1770 oil painting, The Blue Boy. That's where they yeah. took that look from. And I love as well the fact that uh, when you look at um, Big Daddy, who's played by Don Johnson, he's in a white suit because obviously it's a reference to his white suit on Miami Vice. Uh. So there's lots of fun things with the with the costume in the, in this picture. I mean, we get to see Zoe Bell's uh, tracker early on in the film, and I thought she just turned up late into like that third quarter, but she actually turns up at, at, earlier as you go into the, the um, Candyland Ranch, and you've got the guy who's up in the tree with the dogs. You see her, and she's got like the red bandana. Now, originally she was going to pull down the, red, the bandana. It's going to reveal an absent jaw, but uh, that didn't actually make it into the cup, which is kind of a shame because it sounds like a really cool uh, visual image there. But I mean, it's always exciting to see Zoe Bell, even though she's not particularly given much to do in this film. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that I think you know when you talk about it like this, I really feel like if I knew more about westerns and just like all these little reference points you're talking about then the movie would mean a little bit more there's so many of these things that are just i don't know like you're mentioning all these movies and you're like i'm just like i don't know you know in my life i watched like (laughs) two eastwood westerns in my life you know like i don't i don't know these things (laughs) and and to me that's why maybe that's that's the main thing is tarantino movies are so focused around um, every single movie seems to be paying homage to something that he really likes. So he adds a lot of different mm. type of um, reference points in it. So it really depends how much of these reference points are able to coincide with your own knowledge to kind of like, you know, find all these little Easter eggs and really kind of see all the little things he's trying to do. I mean, yes, I mean, these things obviously in there, but at the same time, it's it's not like when you watch Kill Bill. Yeah. And you split, and you do the Easter egg spots. Um, it's not as fun, fun for me as that. And I think it's just purely because I haven't got a huge love for westerns as a genre. Ironically, I really love eastern westerns. So things like Millionaire Express, Let the Bullets Fly, Shijinku uh, Western Django. Mm. Those. Um, <laughs> whenever you have like a like a oh like the good, the bad, and the weird, I love those takes on the western genre. But for some reason, like the traditional western western movies, uh, like The Searchers or like the spaghetti westerns um so uh i just never really got on with for whatever reason so i don't know there to me westerns have always felt like this really slow paced type of like that's what it is isn't it and that's the and you know like we're gonna talk about hateful eight next and i remember watching hateful eight um the first time and the first half was very like traditional western and it was so slow and you're just like i remember being in the theater like bored to tears and i was just like <laughs> oh my god i kept looking at my watch and i was like oh my goodness when is this gonna end when is this moving on and then i'm just yawning and yawning and <laughs> waiting for something exciting to happen <laughs> it doesn't help the fact that this film's so long i mean it's i think terence is the fact he's given 
this ability just to stretch his films out because of who he is as a director. He's got this sort of legacy, of, and yeah. he was, and was, the fact he was also one of the golden boys of the Weinstein's. So the fact is that he could just do what the hell he he wanted really because he has these huge outlandish visions and somehow we all buy into them. He makes things that like we're not really considered like kung fu movies and gangster flicks just suddenly become really hip again once Tarantino's had his his uh, grasp on it. And I was surprised we didn't see like a whole bunch of westerns following on from this film and like Hateful Eight to be honest. Because when certainly when like Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction came out, you had like all these awful like cash-ins or people like trying to work in like pop culture into their into their movies and stuff, and you would have like people like doing these most cliche like things trying to imitate Tarantino's style. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, this film wasn't originally going to cross over with uh, the Reese's uh, martial arts film, The Man with the Iron Fist. Right. There was going to be a scene where. Um, there's a scene in Man with the Iron Fist where uh, the Reese's character is being sold at a slave market, and the other one of the other slaves would have been Django. Okay. Sadly, it didn't happen, but it would have been really kind of cool to think that you know Django appears in the same world as you know the Man with the Iron Fist, uh, which itself is just like one big homage to Shaw Brothers movies. And there was a comic book which followed this called uh, Django Meets Zorro, which I would have also kind of like to see made into a film. But it seems to be in the list though. Is it? Yeah, it's um, there's a pre-production. There's, it, it says pre-production, so. <laughs> I will believe that when I see it. The <laughs> same way that I've been holding out for Kill Bill Three for God knows how many years now. So yeah. Um, how did you find Samuel Jackson's performance in this? Because I think he just acts everyone off the screen apart from obviously Christoph Waltz. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Samuel, Samuel L. Jackson's character was a real mystery. I think it was. It was so random. Like he just pops up and then he's like, "Is he a slave? Is he not? What is he?" Well, he was. Um, it's Stephen's a house Negro, yeah. which is basically would have been like a trusted slave. Yeah. And they would wear like wear actual clothes and they would get to live in in the house and they would be very sort of trusted and you can see like examples of this i mean lincoln had his own personal slave who used to ride a horse beside him Mm. so there are examples of this throughout and it's they make mention of this throughout the film of the different sort of slaves slaves who work out in the field and you've got the fighters and you've got what broomhilda was originally she was um a she would work like in a maid in the house but because she's been scarred up she's now a comfort negro as uh candy calls her mm. so she's just there for entertaining guests but um yeah it's Samuel Jackson originally had been penciled in to play the role of Django but because Tarantino took so long to make it um as he remarked he's sort of like oh you took so long to make it now I'm too old to play Django and now I'm the worst black guy in this movie mm-hmm. um and it's fun as well, the fact he's like goes from being supporting villain to main villain here. But his performance is just off the rails. It's it's something else, this performance he gives here. Ah. It's just like so much in like the body movements and the facial expressions. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, but it's very... <laughs> it's it's very entertaining i think the whole like how samuel jackson's like how he's transformed into this character even like how his character looks um yeah there's this very very i think i don't know if it's an unsettling feeling or just you know what because there's so many 
close-ups of his face and you just see like these little changes yeah and i think that in that sense it's pretty cool um but his character is way like wild like right from the start he's He's already like rude, and he's you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the friend's like, "Why is he on a horse?" Yeah. <laughs> it's just like he's constantly questioning things. So you can tell his status on the on the plantation just by the fact that he like can also be he's like considered like on the same level as any of the other white characters on this plantation. The fact that he questions things constantly, he speaks out of turn. He's has no he doesn't have to like play a role as such. He's like very clearly like one of the right hand men on this ranch. So, but uh, on the question of performances, what did you think of the two Tarantino performances that we get here? In the Tarantino acting masterclasses, he plays both a tracker who gets blown up, and he also plays one of the bagheads. Not really a whole lot to say about it. No, <laughs> I remember I I remember noticing it when he was there, and then after that, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot that he was oh, okay. in there. In the process of a few days, I forgot. <laughs> so, um, I only noticed that he was one of the uh, regulators this time round watching. I've never noticed it before. And he's like the uh, the guy who's sort of like the bag idea was a real nice idea. Yeah, he's that. The thing is, Django has a lot of like little roles in it, from what I remember. Like there mm. were a lot of like little cameos from different people, and I just I can't remember who who's in there anymore. But I I think I remember seeing like so many familiar faces. Um, I think. I think one of the bag heads was Jonah Hill. Um, yeah. yeah. And I can't remember any of the other ones, but yeah, obviously Zoe Bell was there. We were able to see that. And, um, but there was so many like little, oh, oh, and um, the Wolf Creek guy, John, John Jarrett. Who's John Jarrett in it? He, he had this role as, um. It was a cameo role where he was with some other dude with a with a horse. I recognize him because he has such the <laughs> most distinct. He has the most like his voice is so like it's so easy to separate, especially when he laughs. Yeah. And he uh. plays. Um, it was the scene where he was in the Tarantino scene, I think. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Tarantino played. Uh, yeah, it was like one of those employees like mining mining company employees yeah 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 yeah. yeah. so it was there oh yeah so he was <laughs> <laughs> yes that's the thing because yeah you can see it when you look at the screen catch you can see it really um really clearly because it's in his face the problem is because he's blonde he's like that ash blonde in there um but then again he's a master of disguise because we watch him in rogue and he's like this um Bespectacled family man. It's sort of like you're just a master of disguise, John Jarrett. <laughs> but um, oh my god, he terrifies the hell out of me in Wolf Creek. But I think it's so. it's just who I think it. I think he just really like it's that laugh. <laughs> I seriously think <laughs> it's that laugh, and then the sudden like he has that ability to suddenly like be serious and then suddenly be like really over the top type of thing, and. Because he can do that switch so well, it, it really, like, I think he really, like, is very, very scary. Because you have this very unbalanced type of character. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, to me, I think that the series itself is thanks to the fact that he still comes back to reprise that role. That it works. Because if not, I don't know if it would have worked. It's hard to see anyone else in that role. It's a certain... Cause it, the role of... Um, it, his role in sort of Wolf Creek, where he's just such a a grimy, sort of outback sort of guy. Yeah. That it's hard to see, it is hard to see anyone else in that role. Cause he's, especially because he just embodies it so much. It's like when you try to have, like anyone other than Kane Hodder play Jason or if um, Robert England's not playing Freddy. Yeah. You kind of know that something's not right here, isn't it? It's not, it's, it's not, it's not my, um, it's not my, it's not my slasher. So, that's cool. <laughs> well, you do learn something new every day. <laughs> it's not my favourite. Um, for some reason, I actually enjoyed this viewing more than I've done on previous viewings, so I don't know if I was just in a good mood or something, but <laughs> For some reason, it just worked for me this evening. Um, and I, maybe I was just in the mood to see just like really over the top shootouts and things. So. Definitely could be it. But, uh, I mean, I think that Tarantino movies in general, it's very um, reliant on how you feel. <laughs> yeah. Um, as with a lot of other movies. But I mean, like, Tarantino wise, I always like, I always have this dread going in because of the length. And I get really like scared about how it's going to turn out. Because for me, it's like Tarantino movies have been kind of like a good and bad experience. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm always a little bit hesitant on how to go into something like this. And, um, but I mean, there, there are some good parts about this and for sure. And I think that when you go back and look at it, like probably if I watch it a second time, maybe I probably might like it a little bit more. Um, maybe after I go and, you know, go and watch a few more Westerns <laughs> and then come back, I might have some sort of appreciation for it a little bit more. Um, I think you just, um, just need to watch the right Westerns because, yeah. I mean, something like this, I would put, I would, um, if I wanted to see someone else like it, I would something like The Wild Bunch, watch the original Django, um, any of like the Sergio Cabucci westerns, like the really sort of like dark and grimy, mm. like this film is. Uh, things like Bone Tomahawk. Yeah. Bone Tomahawk, um, yeah, that, that one's uh, decent. I'm just sort of because looking at the, um, the Wikipedia, I mean, it made a huge amount of people's like best movies of 2012 list, and I was just seeing what else came out that year, and it wasn't particularly great. <laughs> oh, don't! Because we had like the Avengers and Skyfall and Dark Knight Rises and the first Hobbit movie, um, and then Breaking Twilight, Breaking Dawn Part Two. Because we're all thrilled to rush out and see that one. <laughs> no wonder it made quite a lot of people's top <laughs> movie lists that year. So, but. Uh, yeah, that brings us to the end of tonight's uh, episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. Um, unless you've got anything else you want to add, Kim? Well, I think that if we, if, you know, as I was doing this, I think that if you, um, if you were, like, we usually think about, you know, some further viewing, I think that a really interesting movie to pair with this one might be um, um, last year's Antebellum. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
I've not seen it. I was going to watch it, but I just didn't get around to uh, watching it yet. So yeah, I watched it a few months ago, and I when I was watching this, I had this like really interesting type of feeling that it would have been really nice to pair with it because Antebellum is okay. along the same lines of movies, but it has this very kind of interesting type of twist to it, which I I think is executed fairly well. Okay. So it's um. Yeah, it's it, it's definitely one that I'd say would would work really well with this one. Fantastic, yeah, that was a good ch- definitely a good chat. I need to watch it. As I said, it's it's because it looks really interesting, especially with that dual timelines um, pitch on it. So I'm really kind of interested to to check that one out. So hopefully it will filter through and I will be able to check it out. So. Um, but where are we going next, Kim? Which I think is kind of obvious. But... <laughs> we just talked about it before. Yeah, we're going to um, 2015's uh, Hateful Eight, another Western. Also um, incredibly long. <laughs> I remember it being like two and yeah. a half hours or something like that. Almost three hours, an intermission. actually. Almost three hours. Yes, the another Western from Tarantino, this time giving us a homage to the thing in many places as a group of strange strangers try to figure out who the enemy within is. But, uh, yes, we get to talk more about the West genre. How exciting. If you uh, haven't uh, done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us and maybe leave us a review as it all helps raise the profile of the show. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and we're on Instagram as well. And you can check out our blog, which is moosintpodcast.wordpress.com, um, which has got all our archive of episodes from all our previous season, as well as, most excitingly, our Friday Film Club, where every Friday, myself and Kim both pick a film to highlight. Um, sometimes it's a theme, sometimes it's not. Either way, it's a chance for us to talk about more of the films that we love. But uh, thank you as always for listening. Thanks to my co-host Kim. And we'll be back next time to talk about The Hateful Eight. Like the pine trees lining the winding road I've got a name I've got a name Like a singing bird in the croaking toad I've got a name, I've got a name And I carry it with me like my daddy did But I'm living the dream that he kept here Rolling me down the highway Rolling me down the highway Moving ahead so life won't pass me by Like a north wind whistling down the sky I've got a song I've got a song Like a willful will and the babies cry I've got a song I've got a song And I carry it with me and I sing it loud If it gets me nowhere they're proud Moving me down the highway Rolling me down the highway Moving ahead so life won't pass me by Moving me down the highway
Bye. 